Got a lot of people out sick, different things going on. Appreciate how people step up and step in and do the things that they need to do. And thankful for that. And this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter number 5. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be at. In Matthew chapter number 5, we're going to continue our series that's entitled Jesus Said. Jesus Said. And for the last, uh, well, I guess it's been about seven weeks we've been in the Sermon on the Mount dealing with the Beatitudes. But as you find your way there in, in Matthew chapter number five, Matthew chapter number five, as you know, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It's actually three chapters where Jesus gives a discourse or a sermon. There's only a couple of times in Scripture recorded where Jesus actually gives a sermon that he actually preaches. And uh, this is just a little bit of my opinion, but I always say when you get to the Sermon on the Mount, it's the greatest message preached by the greatest preacher that ever walked this earth, by Jesus. And anytime someone says something, you pay attention to it. I don't know how many of you grew up. If, if your mama said something, it was like gospel. I don't know if you grew up like that. Uh, if your daddy said something, it was like gospel. Probably not as much if it was if mama said it, if mama said it. And for what I hear, uh, if, if granny says it, then it's pretty much thus saith the Lord if that happens. But anyhow, some of y'all are very excited about that. But, you know, we read Scripture, and we read the Bible, and we read what great people that God inspired, what Moses wrote from what God gave him, what Peter wrote, what John wrote, what James wrote, what Paul wrote. But any times we actually get the words of Jesus, where Jesus is telling us something in particular, we definitely ought to perk up. We definitely ought to listen. And we spent the last seven weeks going through the eight different Beatitudes that are mentioned in verses number 3, through verses number 12 and we looked at all those beatitudes and i tell you i really enjoyed that study and just diving deeper in what jesus is saying and he goes through this passage talking about in these beatitudes he talks about blessed in verse 3 the poor in spirit he talks about they that mourn the meek uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness the merciful pure in heart and peacemakers and then last week as we looked at blessed are ye or blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake and we said beatitude actually means perfect happiness and the bible actually teaches that there's a way as believers that we can be perfectly happy we can't be perfect we're not ever going to be perfect in this flesh but we can have an attitude we can have a constant spirit of joy and happiness it means perfect blessedness blessedness means happiness or joy and so we get through with that passage and we get through with a part where he t deals with the beatitudes and we come to a very familiar part of scripture in fact, in studying the Beatitudes, can I tell you, the entire goal of what Jesus was trying to get across in the Sermon on the Mount, you will find in these verses that we're going to look at today. In verses 13 through 16 is the ultimate goal, I truly believe, of what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples. In verse number 13 through 16, our text today, I like to read it. You follow along where it says in Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, I'd like for you to, we've been doing each week as we got to a particular beatitude, we read together out loud the verse. And the verse I'd like for us to read out loud together here is verse number 14. If we would, let's read it out loud together, shall we? Verse 14, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And this morning, I want us to look at, if you've got an uh, outline there, you want to follow along with it, we're going to look at what Jesus says, ye are the salt and ye are the light. Fathers, we come to you this morning. Lord, you are such a great, wonderful, and almighty God. Lord, even in the songs that we've been singing this morning are songs of worship. Lord, as we open with praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Lord, thank you for being the Almighty, the Almighty God, the Almighty Peace Giver. Lord, the Almighty Redeemer. Lord, I just thank you so much for all that you are in our lives. Father, you are worthy of all the honor all the glory, all the praise, all the worship that we can in our physical bodies and in our minds and hearts can muster, Lord. You are so worthy. 
Lord, I thank you so much for loving us. Lord, thank you for loving me enough that you would give your own son to die and take my place. Lord, so that because of Christ, every person in this room that has a relationship with him can stand redeemed. We can stand pure because of the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I pray for those that are working with the children this morning. I pray you bless them, Lord, and give them favor in the eyes and the ears of those children. Lord, draw them closer to yourself. Lord, if there's someone in our midst today that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray in your grace and mercy you might reveal yourself to them, Lord. Lord, and they might see your goodness and your love, and they might put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for other people that today are probably standing about this time preaching. I pray you bless them, you be with them. Lord, I pray for Brother Hegwood up in Eatonton. I pray for Jonathan Redford down in Tampa. Lord, I pray for Brother Kittle over here at Oak Grove, Lord, and many others. Brother Ayers as he's over here at Heartland, Lord. So many other people that are proclaiming your word right now, Lord. I pray you speak through them. Thank you for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. And as we've been looking at this passage, talking about the Beatitudes and talking about being perfectly happy, up to this point, this pretty much has been an option. Jesus has said what? Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, over and over and over again. Meaning this, it's conditional, right? There's an option to not be it. It means that you can be a Christian that is meek, meaning that you are one that doesn't have to defend yourself. You, the mentality we have is, is that even when things come to you, you're like a punching bag. You absorb it. You don't, whenever like a vase or something glass or something fragile, when things come, you don't break and fall apart. But you're meek, you're lowly of heart, poor of spirit as the Bible teaches but you're pure in heart, meaning that you're not selfish. You're not looking for your own glory. He even goes on to say the option of being perfectly happy as a believer is being a peacemaker. It's being somebody that's not peaceable, but is actively seeking to make peace. And I remind you in your life, in your relationships, don't just be someone that's peaceable, but be somebody that is a peacemaker that goes to be the bridge and to do what you can to restore and reconcile. By the way, that's the whole goal of forgiveness is reconciliation is reconciliation now as we know in that mentality we have to understand as paul says as much as possible live peaceably with all men there's sometimes you can't but don't let the lack of peace in your life be because of you and then we looked at last week this passage where it finishes in verse number 10 where it says blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake and we talked about the idea of of living a persecuted life of of not just being persecuted for your lack of social skills or being persecuted for your arrogance, but being persecuted for godliness, for doing things that are right, for being persecuted for righteousness' sake, which righteousness' sake is what? All those things we talked about. You're going to be persecuted. If you're meek, you're going to be persecuted. If you're a peacemaker, you're going to be persecuted. If you're poor in spirit, you're going to be persecuted. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're going to be persecuted. But then it goes on to say in verse number 11, that they will persecute you and even lie about you. They'll say falsely, why? For Christ's sake. Is that when you identify with Christ, there's going to be those that persecute you because of claiming and living a life that's pleasing to Christ. And we even looked at how he goes on to say in, in this passage in, in verse 12, after he tells them about being persecuted, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. By the way, that doesn't seem to go there, does it? So I'm supposed to be persecuted. I'm supposed to be perfectly happy. No, I'm not supposed to be perfectly happy. I'm supposed to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. And we looked at last week is that you know what helps people in persecution? Is to take their eyes off this world and put their eyes on what's eternal and what matters. And not just focus on, on people around you, but focusing on God and yourself. And this morning for a little bit, I'd like to jump right into this mentality of what Jesus is saying here. Where Jesus says, ye are the salt and ye are the light of the world. I'll be honest, I'm going to spend a lot more time on ye are the light. But I want us to look at a few things. And if you have notes and you want to take them. Number one, I want us to see your calling. Your calling. And in verse number 13, he says this. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world i want us to see first off as a believer you're calling if you notice in verse 13 it says ye are verse number 14 it says ye are you know what it means the suggestions have stopped 
See, up verses 3 through verses 12, it's a blessed are. It's a suggestion of what you can do to have happiness in your life, what you can do to be perfectly happy. But when you get to verses 13 and 14, Jesus says you need to rejoice and be exceedingly glad in persecution because you are the light. You are the salt. It's no longer something that you can choose. If you're here today and you know the Lord's your Savior, you can choose whether or not you're happy, but you don't get to choose whether or not you're salt and light. You are whether you want to be or not. You can be good salt, you can be bad salt, you can be good light, or you can be no light or bad light if you want to say it like that. But either way you look at it, if you have a relationship with God, he says here, he goes from blessed are to you are. And this calling that we are called to be the light, we are called to be salt. Now before I progress much further, I need to tell you that you can only be light when you got the light. John chapter 8, verse number 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If any man followeth me, he will no longer walk in darkness. Can I tell you, if you're here today and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are walking in darkness. You are walking according to the prince and the power of this world and the air of this world. And you may think you have everything in life figured out. But can I tell you, you're walking in darkness because as it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus, excuse me, God says, God says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That you can't be the light at your job. You can't be the light in your family. You can't be salt in the situations that you face until first you have that light. You have to have the light before you can be the light. It's kind of like in our be attitudes. They don't call them the do attitudes. They call them the be attitudes. Meaning it's already an attitude and a spirit that's on the inside, not just actions on the outside. And when we look at this, the idea of being the light, you have to be it. You have to have the light. You have to know the Lord is your Savior. And so I want you to understand that Jesus is speaking here. And as I said, he goes from these verses talking about how you need to bless it are to ye are. He says, and you are the light of the world. Can I tell you this morning, if you're here today and you know the Lord is your Savior, you claim to be a Christian, it's a mighty big deal. It's a big deal. You know why it's a big deal? Because the Bible says the world is darkness. As it says in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says to paraphrase that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And that light will make their works manifest. And as we looked at last week, part of being persecuted for being somebody that for righteousness sake is this, is that the reaction and response to living a life of meekness and of mercy and of grace and of peacemaking is some people will come to the light. Others will reject it. But as we see here, we are the light of the world. It's a big deal. People are going to notice the light. You can't hide it. You can't pass it on, if you will. Can I tell you, your job is, and your, in your life, it's serious because this world is darkness. This world needs the light of Christ. And that light of Christ comes through the Christian that me and you both claim to be. Your job needs light. Your job needs Christ. Your family needs Christ. You say, Brother Phil, all my family knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They still need that light because, as you know as well as I do, John chapter 8, verse 12, where it talks about that I am the light of the world. He that, he that believeth in me walk in darkness no more. That salvation's only the beginning. There's a lot of Christians today that have the light of Christ in their heart because they're saved, but they're walking in darkness because they decided to walk back into it. They decided to do it on their own will, their own desires. But it's a big deal in that. We live in a world today that needs it. We need, we, as we come up to Mother's Day and Father's Day and all those special days that we celebrate, I tell you, we live in a day and age where we need mothers and fathers to be lights in their families and their churches and on their jobs. We need grandparents to not say it's time for me to kick back and relax because I've done my time, but to step up and say, you know what, I got some wisdom, I got light. And as it says in the very last verse of Psalm 150, the last verse, of the entire book of Psalms. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You know what that's saying? As long as you breathe it out, be the light. Be the light. Be what God's called you to be. And as I said, we're going to make a little bit of a mention about ye are the salt of the earth. And there's a lot of verses that deal with being salt of the earth. Salt is used as it talks about it, it savors things or what it does. It keeps things from being corrupted. I don't know how many of you grew up eating a country ham. Salted hams, boy, I love some of that stuff. It is good stuff. I tell you, I grew up, I love salted hams. It couldn't get, be too salty. You know, I could just lick it. You know, it's just great stuff. I love that stuff. I like going down here to Bojangles and getting me a, a country country ham biscuit with a little bit of egg on it, throw a slice of cheese on it, and if I'm feeling very happy, I'll throw bacon on top of it too. You know, just to have a good time with it. 
I love it. You know, that meat tastes good. But let me ask you, the key ingredient in that is salt. Salt's cheap. Nobody walks up to Bojangles and says, give me a salt biscuit, please, with a side of salt. But you add salt. You need salt. Why? Because it preserves it. It keeps it from being corrupted. Can I tell you, in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of those around you, that know the Lord and don't know the Lord. They need you to be salt. They need you to help preserve the vision of God and what God wants to be in their life. They need salt. They need you to be, take a stand. They need you to be the right kind of believer. They need you to be that. If you're here today and you got children, can I tell you today, they need you to be salt. You know, when you look at meat, whenever meat becomes unsavory, what does it say? You can add salt and it's okay. There's a remedy to meat. Whenever it starts to lose its savor. But can I tell you something about testimony of this verse right here? But when salt loses its savor, there's nothing left for it. Nothing left for it. It's not doing its purpose. It's not doing what it's meant. That's why it says in verse 13, it's trodden down and cast out. Can I tell you today, there's a many a believer, and you're looking at one that does it sometimes myself, because I'm not perfect. There's a lot of times I live my life, and a lot of times you live your life, and we've lost our savor. We ain't preserving anything. We're getting just as corrupted as the things and the powers and influences around us. We give in to those influences. We give in to those thoughts. We give in to those actions. We give in to that attitude. We give in to that spirit. And I tell you, as it says in this passage here, that if salt has lost its savor, what does it say? It is henceforth good for nothing. It's not accomplishing its purpose. I'd never want to live my life in such a way that God looks down at me and says, right now you're not good for anything. I can't use you. But if God had to look at your life this morning, the way you lived your life this week, I thank God for the past, but let's live in the present, okay? The way you lived your life this week, does God look at you and say, that's some salt right there that I can use? It can use to preserve, it can use to cleanse, it can use to make something last. Or does he look and say, it's lost its savor right at the moment? At the moment, it's good for nothing. It's miserable. I dare say there's probably more Christians that live a miserable life than Christians that live a life of a beatitude, a perfect happiness. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We're called not to be that way. You say, Brother Phil, though, I try to be it on my job. I try to be it in my family. I try to be it in my circumstances. I try to be that light. But I just feel like I get beat down and beat down and beat down, and I just want to give up. Can I tell you, don't quit. Can I tell you, be faithful, keep doing what's right, keep praying, keep reading your Bible, keep taking a stand, keep speaking the truth, but if by all means, speak it in love. Don't just speak it in hate. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be a Pharisee. But we see that salt, and I'm going to take you to a passage there. Hold your place in Matthew 5. Flip over to Colossians, if you would. Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter 4. I like to read verses 5 and 6 here in just a moment. And this is the reason you need to be salt on your job. This is the reason you need to be salt in your family. This is the reason you need to have a perseverance, a preserving, a cleansing, a purging, if you will, to those around you and in your own life. In Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5 and 6, it says this. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming or making the most of the time. Look at verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let me ask you a question. Your responses to people this week, the way you responded to your wife, the way you responded to your husband, the way you responded to your children, the way you responded to the clerk at Walmart, was your speech seasoned with grace? Was it sprinkled with salt? Or did you speak out of anger, bitterness, Jealousy, vengeance. But it says that our mouths be come out of our mouths grace and salt. You know, I like to joke and cut up just like the next person does, but it's a bad thing to always be known as a sarcastic person. I like cutting up like everybody else does. In fact, my problem is a lot of times you don't know when I'm cutting up or not cutting up, and that's, that's part of my problem. But you know what? The words that came out of your mouth this week and the way that you spoke to those people around you that you love and those people that are around you that are watching your testimony. And let's just say it like this. Those people that you'll never see again, but you're the only person that knew Christ that came across their path this week. Was your answer to them in grace? 
Was it seasoned with salt? Because what does it say in that passage? That you know how to answer those that are without. It means those that are outside of the family. Those that are outside the family of God. Those that are outside possibly even with fellowship with God. And I tell you, this is a great passage to think about in dealing with people that are away from God that know the Lord. You know what I'm talking about. People that know the Lord is their Savior and they ought to be doing better, but they're not. Be careful how you respond to them. Be careful how you treat them. Be careful how you beat them upside the head with the Bible, so to speak. Speak the truth. Speak it in grace. Speak it in mercy. And have it seasoned with salt. Don't lose the opportunity to minister to that person. I, I tell you this, and I, I mean it with 100% all of my heart. If there's somebody that walks through the doors of our church and they ain't been here in a long time, the worst thing you look at them say, well, oh my, I don't know if the sink, ceiling tiles are going to hold up today, Brother Phil. These people came in. I ain't seen them in months. I ain't talking about Greg and Robin either. They've been gone for a while on their trip. But you know what I mean? Well, I'm just cutting up. What do you think that does for somebody that's been here in a while and they know they ain't been here in a while and they know they ain't done what's right and they walk through the door and the first thing you say to them is like, whoo, didn't think I'd ever see you heathens again. You think they will walk in and say, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. They ain't singing that. They're thinking, hmm. I guess it's better I didn't come. I didn't have to deal with this at home. The buddies that I skip church with don't say this to me whenever I skip church with them. Be careful. Be salt. Be salt. Don't be bitter. Don't let what comes out of your mouth be bitterness. But let it be grace. Let it be seasoned with salt that you know how to answer every man. That you will speak truth. You'll speak life. And we see our calling here to be the salt. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light. This is not one of these messages that says, ah, I think I'll be light today. Ah, I think I'll be salt today. You are whether you want to be or not. Now you're either salt that's lost its savor. Or you're the salt as Christ said that he can use. To accomplish his purpose. But as we focus on as he says in verse 14. He says ye are the light of the world. You say, Brother Phil, I understand what you're saying about being the light of the world, but my personality is I'm shy. You know, I'm not a very outgoing person. Can I tell you, you might be shy on your job, but you're the light. You say, well, Brother Phil, I, I don't necessarily like to, to share and talk about God. I don't like to be upfront about it. That's okay, but you're the light there in your family. You are the light. You're it. You say, I don't like necessarily, I like to be behind the scenes, but you know what it says? You are the light of the world. You're still called to do it. So number one, do we see... Our, your calling, it means you are. Number two, as we focus more on being the light, number two, I want us to see your purpose. Your calling is you are light. You are salt. But now we're going to see your purpose. And can I tell you that light was never meant and light is never intended to be secretive. We didn't come in this morning and turn the lights on as soon as we turn the lights on start wrapping tarps around all the lights so so the light couldn't be shown we want it on when we started wrapping lights wrapping tarps around and dark paper around it no 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 we turn the lights on because we want the light to shine we want the light to illuminate and that's what the purpose of light is what's the purpose of light it is to reveal what is there you know what happens every time i pick up this book every time i read it every time i pray and i do it with the right kind of heart God reveals things in my heart that should be there, and he also reveals some things that I might need to clean up a little bit. You know, there's really no greater feeling really in life to be gone for a long time, come back, lights are off, and go in your house or go into a room and turn a light on and see roaches running everywhere. You know, they fly in South Carolina. I don't know if y'all ever noticed that. They fly. Them things move. They carry all small children. They do. I don't know if they do that here, but they're, they're, they do it. But you know what? Something as gross as a cockroach, they run from the light. You don't say, oh, man, I wish they'd just stay. Man, I just want to leave this light on. Stay on that counter there. Oh, this, oh, man, that's love how they just love being here. Like, no, they run. They scurry off as fast as they can. You're like, really feel scurry off this point as fast as you can. I got you. I understand. But what I'm saying is light reveals. Light reveals. I remember working on our house and doing some painting and, and the hallway we were in, there was a window on one end from one bedroom and a window on the other end from the other bedroom and we didn't have the electricity uh, and the lights the way it needed to be. And I was in a hallway and the hallway was a purplish brown color which did not put off a lot of light either. 
and I had, and I painted that uh, hallway the first time I painted it with before the light. Then my dad came in and put some lights up. Can I tell you, when we turned that light on, I was so excited to see, and then I noticed how much I missed. See, while the light was off, and to my best intentions, everything looked pretty good. Everything seemed to cover up all right. Boy, when that light shined on it, I started thinking, man, I need to unplug some of these things. I need to turn some of these things off. Starting to show where I messed up, show where I cut corners. And in our lives, a lot of times, we don't want to be the light because we really don't want God to shine the light on our lives. David said a prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a wonderful prayer to pray. It's a different prayer to mean. What about you today? Would you be willing for God to, and his purpose and his light in your life? God, search my heart. God, search me. God, know my heart, my attitude, my innermost thoughts. And God, if there's any, that means not just one or two I can kind of justify, but there's any wicked way in me, show it to me so you can lead me in the way. You can lead me in that. And that purpose that we see here, that light stands out. And can I tell you today, if you're a Christian, your purpose in this world today, and understand what I mean by this, is to stand out. If you can live your life on the job like everybody else does, and your life doesn't stand out by your character and your actions, something's wrong, your light's not shining. You live the way you live in your family. You live different ways. We are meant to stand out. We are meant to do that. You just can't go to work and do your own thing and keep to yourself. You know what? God knows that you claim to be a Christian. If we love Christ and we're saved, God never intended us to be closet Christians. He never intended for us to live a relationship with Christ that's hidden in a closet. He didn't intend for us to have a testimony to be silent. He didn't intend for us to be undercover uh, believers. We were meant to shine. We were meant to stand out. What does it even say in verse number 16? Let your light so shine. It could have just said let your light shine. But it says so shine. It means there's an intensity there. There's a purpose there. It's to stand out. Kenny Baldwin said this quote, and I think it's really good. We weren't saved to be liked. We were saved to be liked. We weren't saved to be liked, L-I-K-E-D. We were saved to be liked, L-I-G-H-T. A lot of Christians today are say they're living their Christian life. They just want people to like them. I like Facebook. There are a lot of people today. Their day determines on how many people click like, 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 like. That's what's all about. It's all about people liking your picture, liking your post, liking, liking, liking. Don't believe me? Put something on there and nobody like it. <gasps> Woe is me. Nobody. Lo- you know what I mean? It's just like cool thing. We live in a day and age where everybody wants to be liked. You're saying, Brother Phil, I, I, I want to go through my life and I want people to hate me. Well, for some people, they're doing a good job of that. And that's not exactly the way we're supposed to do either. But Jesus didn't save you to be liked by everybody. He saved you to be the light to everybody. So what are you more concerned with today? Being liked? Being liked. In your family. There may be believers. They may be in their life, but they need that light. Even if they're totally in love with God, you know, the purpose is not to stay where you're at. But as Paul says, I press toward the mark for the price. Be that light to lead your family going closer to God and doing more for God. Don't just be satisfied with being saved. Don't just be satisfied with behavior modification in your life and in your family, but desire to have a heart and a spirit in your life and those around you that you will be that light to them, not just to be liked by them. Because I found out to be the light doesn't always mean you get liked. That is nice when you do what's right and you are what's right. And people like you. That, that, it, it is nice. It does encourage. But we're not meant to be liked. We're meant to be the light. See, our lifestyles, if they're shabby and our testimonies are suspect, we don't want to be rejected. And, and when we want to be liked, and we start getting all upset in our Christian life, and we get so upset because people don't like us. Can, can I pose this to you? What makes us think that we can live like Jesus and them treat us differently than they treated him? 
What makes you think that you can live a life like Christ and they're going to treat you any different than what Jesus treated, how, how they treated him? He told his disciples, he said, the world's going to hate you and here's why the world's going to hate you. And that world is not just people. That world means the sinful, worldly, anti-God lifestyle. He says, if they hate you, know this, they hated me first. Be careful when those people that live in sin and love in sin and stay in sin totally approve of the way you're living. Be careful. But I want to live like Jesus, then I can't expect the world to treat me any differently. If they won't treat someone that is pure, holy, perfect, then they're not going to treat you any different. Don't let it surprise you if they don't like you. Don't let it be like that. And we see in this passage, you go on, it says, verse 14, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And I want to focus your attention just for a little bit in the last part of verse 14. It says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Can I tell you something today? You are, whether you want to be light, you are salt, whether you are good at good or not, you are. But can I tell you this morning that God has set you, and he set you in a place to be light he has set you in a place to be salt you say brother phil where i'm at right now spiritually is about as dark as where it could be what i'm surrounded by what i'm influenced by that's all right jesus didn't put you there by accident so the city that is set on a hill cannot be hid you are meant to shine forth you are meant to shine as righteousness you are meant to let grace pour out of you you are meant to hunger and thirst after righteousness you are meant to be meek you are meant to be a peacemaker he met you, he put you there he set you there for a reason you ever sometimes in your life wonder because of spiritual oppression say god why do you have me here god what are you doing god didn't make any mistakes he says here a city that is set on a hill and can i tell you this morning if you're not shining the jesus that is in you then you are covering him up if you're not shining forth the jesus that is in you then you're covering him up if you would, hold your place there and flip over to 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter number 4. And talking about our purpose, our purpose is to shine. Our purpose is not to be liked, but to be light. But as it says in Scripture, is our purpose is that it says, let your light so shine. In 2 Corinthians, chapter number 4. Apostle Paul is speaking here to this church at Corinth. He's speaking to a church, and it's important to understand in Scripture where he's talking here, and he's talking to this church. He's talking to this group of believers, and I believe if he's meaning it for the Christians at Corinth, I believe we can apply it to the Christians at Emmanuel that are sitting here today when Paul looks and says this in Ephesians, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he says, but have renounced, talking of you, he says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Look at this. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine into them. Verse 5 says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, you servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded, what? The light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I tell you, you read that passage and read it slowly, and I encourage you to read it when you go home. He's telling them here that, you know what, you can live your life in such a way that is glorifying to God, as it talks about in verse number two, turning from dishonesty, turning from deceitfulness, turning from those things. He says, but if you don't, you are light, but you're, you're hid. And who's the one that suffers from it? You say, you suffer some. Yeah, I get that. But if I live my life in such a way that's displeasing to God, I live my life in such a way that I smother out the light where God has set me, it's hurting those that are lost. It's hurting those that will not go to church next Sunday. It's hurting those that will not pick up a Bible and read it this week. It's hurting those that will not pray and cry out to a God and talk to a God through the midst of their trials and through their addictions 
and through their struggles. Let me tell you, if your gospel is hid by the way you live your life, it's hid to those that need to know the knowledge of God, as he talks about here. It's to those, it says in verse 6, light has come. Why did God send Christ to be light? And he says in verse 6, what? That he gave us this light. It shined in our hearts. Why? So we can let people know about God. Can I ask you this week, in the way you lived your life, how much did people learn about God by the way you lived your life this week? How much did your light, the light of Christ in you, help others come to know God more? I didn't say they accepted it or rejected it. I didn't say they started going to church the next Sunday. I didn't say they felt called to preach. I said, how much of the way you lived your life this week in front of other people, as you let your light shine, did they get more of a knowledge of who Christ is? Or at least a little inquisitive about what's different about you. How did you live your life? You are set. I've shared this before. I, I'm, I'm so excited and so thankful that God has set me here at Emmanuel. I'm so thankful to be in Milledgeville. This is where God set me. And you know what? I pray to God that he helps me be thankful and be grateful and be the light that he set me here for as long as he has me here. I hope he has me here a long, long time. I get that. But you know what? This is where he set me because this is where he set me. I'm supposed to shine forth as the light that's inside of me. Your life only shines forth as good of Christ as you think Christ really is. Let me say it like this. As good as you really believe Jesus to be is only as good as you're going to show him to other people. Now, I ain't saying you don't go through seasons of discouragement. I get that. I get that. I'm not downplaying that. But how good do people really think Jesus is by watching your life? Not just listening to you on Sunday. Not just watching you pray for the meal over there at the side. But how good do people really think Jesus is just by watching you shine? He doesn't just say shine. He says in the passage back in Matthew, so shine. There's an adverb there. It describes the intensity of the verb. Not just to shine, but to so shine. To shine with intensity. Y'all didn't know I knew what an adverb was. That's all right. But it means to do it intently. To do it in such a way. In the way that we walk. You say, Brother Phil, I almost don't want to say it, but I'll, I'll say it like, say, Brother Phil, I don't shine a whole lot on my job. Then maybe you need to quit complaining about the boss to those other people that are lost. Maybe you need to quit cutting corners at work. Maybe you need to quit lying, cheating, stealing, stealing time and doing all those things and then turn around and say, I'm a Christian. Phil, I'm not shining a whole lot at work. Well, because you ain't living any different than those that walk in darkness. See, I, don't, I shouldn't expect my kids to respect my wife if I don't respect my wife. I shouldn't expect my kids to respect you if I don't respect you. they just following whatever light I give off. They follow us so closely. And I tell you, we shouldn't expect more spirituality out of people that don't even know Jesus. We shouldn't expect more out of people that we're not willing to do but we should walk in a way that's pleasing to him. And the third point I want us to see today is this. And we talk about our, your, your calling, your purpose. And the third point today I'm going to give to you in the, in the form of a question. Okay, Phil, I got it. Great. If our gospel's hit, it's hidden and never lost. You're telling us to be the light. But here's the third point. Here's the question. How do we bring glory to our Father? How do we do it? How do we do as it says in verse number 16 we're going to read in a moment how do we bring glory how can i live my life today how can you live your life today how can you live on your job how can you live in your marriage in your family in your health crisis your financial crisis whatever it is in your life how can you bring glory to god look again in verse number 16 of matthew 5 our text let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I have three particular thoughts about how we can do this. How, how do I bring glory to God? You said here, I can do good works. I can do it in such a way that it glorifies God. How can I glorify God? How do I bring glory to God? Well, the first thought I have with this is that Jesus clearly commands that the goal of our lives is that we should behave in such a way that gives God glory that we should behave in such a way that gives God glory. If you want to follow along, take notes, you can say it like this. 
behave in such a way that it gives God glory. Once again, and, and I'm not beating on you, I'm trying, because I'm inventorying this, I'm eating this myself, okay? I'm eating what I'm cooking. Can I tell you, in studying this passage, and I stop and think about the way that I acted just this week. Hey, how about how I just acted yesterday? Did my behavior bring glory to God? That thought, that response, that action. Did I behave in such a way that it brought glory to God? I have in my notes here, live so that men will see your life and give your Father in heaven glory, not you. Too many of us want glory. Too many, of, too many preachers today, and I, I'm prone to the same temptation, want to walk out of a service and the thing that's the highlight of your day is someone to say, man, that was a good message. And I'm not telling you go out here and I ain't going to talk to Phil because he said, no, I didn't say that, okay? We all need encouragement, okay? I got it. But can I tell you today, there's a lot of people that are behaving in such a way, they ain't doing it for the glory of God. They do it all about themselves. I love watching football, unless it's Saturday college football, because uh, my team don't do real well. But anyhow, I love watching sports and stuff. And you know what's interesting I find is when that person gets to the end zone, I love when I can turn around, when I watch them celebrate, and here comes the lineman, here comes the other pass protectors, here come maybe the quarterback that threw the ball, or there's the running back that gave the key block, and they all hug each other and high-five and do all that stuff, and they jog off together doing that. You know what I can't stand? Is when the one wants to be by themselves and does this thing where they point like this. You know why? Because the name of the team's on the front of the jersey, but the name of the player's on the back of the jersey. I see that in basketball. I see in football. I know what they're doing. Like, look at me. Look what I did. And I always wait for what never happens. I always want to see this big, like, five or six, 300-pound lineman go, oh, really? Next time, hut, go ahead. Cream him. But you know what? A lot of us do the things we do. We go to church so people will do this. We pray so people can hear and say, oh, what's such a great prayer? Do you behave in such a way that your desire is to give God glory or do you behave in such a way that you might receive glory? That you will be noticed. That you will be appreciated. That you will be honored. So what I'm saying here is this. It should be very clear that glorifying God is not merely an act of worship on Sunday. Glorifying God is not just what we do on Sunday. It's what we call a particular kind of living. The way that you live your life. Is the way that you live your life, the peculiar way that you live your life, do you live your life in such a way that every day you glorify God by your actions, you don't want to glorify yourself? There's a lot of people, let's just be honest, okay? There's going to be a lot of people go to churches all throughout our country today because they want people to think better of them. Well, that's what good Christians do. They go to church. They're going to walk out the door. They want people to see them walk out the door. They want people to know they went to church because they want people to think good of them. They're not doing it to glorify God. They're not doing it out of a love for God. Can I tell you what my prayer is? And I shared it a couple Wednesday nights ago. You know what my prayer is this year for our church? It's not that our church grows in number. It's not that we add more programs. It's not necessarily that we see this great thing added to our church. But my prayer is for every single member of our church to love Jesus more this year than you've ever loved him in your life. Because if you love Jesus more this year than you did last year, if you continue to grow and get so in love with Jesus that you know what, you don't have to have that particular song sung for you to praise God and enjoy church. You don't have to have the particular sermon a certain length for you to say it was a good day on Sunday. You don't need all the gimmicks to get you to church. You don't need all the gimmicks to get you to please God. You're just doing it because you love Him. You're doing it just flat out because you love Him and you want to love Him more. That's my prayer. My prayer is that I will love God more this year than I did last year. You know how I'm going to do that? Love him more today than I did yesterday. You want to be closer to God? You want to love God more next year or this year than you did last year? Love Jesus more today. That may mean neglecting some things. That may be embracing some things, but it's doing it not for your glory. For sake of time, I, I still want us to look at it, if you would. First Thessalonians, if you would. I just think it's very fitting and you guys look nice and comfortable anyhow, so we're okay. 
Well, nobody laughed at that. Okay, First, first Thessalonians. What I'm talking about, it's, it's clear that it's not merely an act of worship on Sunday, but glorifying God is a particular kind of living. And this is a part of Scripture. I'll just be honest with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, when you get into the 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, no one really gives any much attention to chapters 1. You know why? It's normally just a greeting, right? But there's something that the Apostle Paul says here about the way that these people live their life as believers. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says this, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. But our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in, and in, so, in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the Lord in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia. For, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. And I'll stop there. You know what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying that the way you live your life, and look how he lives their life, he says in verse 3, your, your faith, your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. He says, you've lived your life in such a way. Paul's saying, I don't have to go down here to Ephesus and tell them about the Christians over here in Thessalonia. He said, I don't have to go to Achaia. I don't have to go to Macedonia and tell them about Christians that are doing these things and living godly lives and being like, I don't have to do that. He says, your life speaks for itself. And may the life of every person, and let's just take our church, may the life of the people at Emmanuel Baptist Church, may our life be so much that people don't have to go somewhere and say, there's good godly people at Emmanuel. May our life of work, our labor of love, and our grace and patience in dealing with people, may our actions speak for themselves. May it not be where someone's got to brag about, well, I'll tell you how good those people are. Let Milledgeville know by the way we live that we love God. Let's not always just tell them we love God. Let's show them by the way we live. That's what Paul's saying. Paul says, I don't even have to go anywhere and tell anybody about you. You're already the example. You're already doing it. You're already following him. You're already showing faith and love and mercy. You're already doing all these things. So we see that in this, how do we bring glory to the Father? We do it by the idea of behaving so that God gets glory. But also the other thing I see in this, and thinking of how God gets glory in our life, this is pretty simple, ready? We must be engaged in good works. How does my father get glory? I've got to do it for his glory and not for me. But secondly, I've got to be engaged in good works. Can I tell you, and you've not, it's not original to me, you weren't saved to sit, you were saved to serve. You weren't saved just to sit there and just be fed and be fed. You were saved to serve and go out. You know what the church is? The church is a time that we rally together, that we grow together, that we fill our tank spiritually together so we can bust out those doors in a way that says, what can I do to serve Christ today? What can I do to bring honor and glory to Christ today? And can I tell you, we've got to be engaged in good works, and that's not just avoiding horrible sin. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not really doing a lot of good works, but Brother Phil, I ain't really stepping in any of that bad stuff. I've not got any gross sin in my life. But instead, in the way that we live our life, are we pursuing godliness? Do we have acts of generosity, acts of kindness, ways that we show love? Let me ask you, though, again, I've been saying it over and over again, but the way you lived your life this week, how did you show kindness to somebody? How did you show love to somebody? How did you show grace to somebody? How did you show mercy to somebody? You say, Brother Phil, you're asking a lot. No, that's what Jesus did, and that's what he asked of us every single day. Jesus asked me to do it. He wants to see the good works. And can I encourage you today, don't walk out of this room thinking, well, Phil says I've got to live a good life to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. You can read Ephesians 2 all day long. But it does say in the book of James, chapter number 2, if I'm not mistaken, that I will show you my faith by my works. What does it say? I believe it's in Matthew. Uh, by, their, by their fruit we shall know them. Fruit's the, the work, the thing that we do, the deeds that we do. Doing it with an attitude for God, not a glory attitude for ourselves. And if the goal, if God's goal is to be glorified in his people, then Jesus desires for us to do good works. 
He expects us to do these things. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says this, that Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, Titus 2, 14. He did not just save us from iniquity. He didn't just purify us, but he wants us to be zealous of good works. That means a desire, a passionate desire to do things that please him to God. Do you, do you have a desire? Are you zealous to do things for God that will give God glory? Or he's like, mm, I might could do that. You got to evaluate it. But are you zealous, a peculiar people, zealous unto good works? Can I tell you today that we were created for the glory of God? We were created to do good works for God, to please God. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk in them. We're created for that way. We won't take time today, but if you get a chance, read the first six verses of Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28 is about Paul being shipwrecked, and he's on, he's on that island, and he's by himself, and is, is, is he's on that island of Malta, and it says how they're shipwrecked, and they come on, and all the natives come around Paul, and all those people. Remember, it says he's up, he's getting wood, and what happens? A viper comes up and bites his hand, and it says every man looked at him that he should fall dead. But after it says, and I don't miss it, after they looked at him for a great while, they saw by his response to being bitten. Instead, they didn't say he was a sinful man. They said, man, you must be a God. Wouldn't it be something to live your life in such a way that people look at you and say, man, it's like looking at Jesus. And by the way, people might have to look at you a long while to ever determine if you really are genuine or not says they looked at him for a long while. And the last the thing I see is this. And this is more of a statement, I guess. But can I tell you today that it's possible to do good works and not glorify God. It's possible to do good works and not glorify God. You ever do the right thing but do it with the wrong attitude? Oh, you still did it. But it didn't bring any glory. But we can do things in a certain way that we do the right works, but it brings no glory to God. And as it says back in the passage, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father. It's got to be more than just the action. It's got to be, as it says in verse 14, you have to be the light. It's not just your actions. It's your attitude. It's your motivation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why are you here today? What motivated you to come to church today? Well, if I didn't come to church today, my wife's going to give me a hard time. If I didn't come to church today, Brother Phil's going to call me. <sighs> I don't really want to be here, but I know I need to be here. And God's just saying, oh, let me just bless that pure vessel right there. Let me flow through them. You know, think about it. Oh, yes, they are so glad to be here. Let me just pour out in you. It's not just our works. It's the attitude and the motivation for which we do them. I have discovered something in my house that my kids sometimes will do the things I ask them to do because they're kind of hoping for something. You ever look at a kid that does something and say, what's your angle? What you got in your mind? Oh, nothing, Father. I just want to glorify you and please you all the days of my life. And I knew that taking out the trash and putting it back in while singing just as I am would be exactly what you needed today. My kids don't even know the words that just came in my mouth. Okay with that part of it. Neither do yours either, by the way. But you know what? It's not enough. Let me say it like this. I love you're here, but it's not enough just to be here. Worship while you're here. What's your motivation? What's your attitude? It's not good enough to have a right response to your wife or to your husband or to your children, what is the motivation for why you do the things that you do? Is it to glorify God? Is it to do that? Is it flowing out of that? And I wrote this down for myself. When I'm faced with an opportunity to do a good work or not, I ask myself this question. I encourage you maybe to do the same. How can I do good in this so that God gets the glory and not me? Okay? Um, every now and then in my home, something doesn't happen just right, and I have to deal with it. 
I have to do discipline. Oh, I love that. You know, I wake up every morning. I think they think that sometimes. I wake up in the morning. Yes, the opportunity to discipline children or do something like that. Or somebody calls me and they just let me have it. I know you can't imagine. That happens like every like 28 years. So don't worry, it doesn't happen very often, okay? But something happens that I have to respond. Maybe a good question you can ask yourself is, okay, God, okay, how can I do good in this so that you get glorified? When that person at work comes tomorrow and, and just lets you have it or gives you an impossible task or just lets it fly on you, ask yourself, okay, God, how can I respond in a way? How can I do good in a way that brings honor and glory to you and not me? It might just change the way you walk, the way you talk, and the way you act. I close with this, and I thought it was a pretty interesting statement. Gandhi, back a few years ago, had a man ask him, a Christian missionary, and I forgot the Christian missionary's name, and was talking to Gandhi about Christ and thought, well, how awesome it would be if you could, you could get Gandhi to put his faith and trust in Christ. I mean, he, he obviously is, tries to have peace. He obviously tries to have meditation. He obviously tries to be one with the universe, but obviously he doesn't know Christ as his Savior. But what would it be like if Gandhi got saved and, and the missionary was talking to him and talking to him about things in Scripture and Gandhi said, you know what, I have read the Bible. I've seen those people. And the missionary started talking about all the different people in the Bible, talking about Moses and, and John the Baptist and Paul and, and all these different people in Scripture. And this is Gandhi's response. I would be like a Christian in the Bible if I ever saw one in real life. I would be like a Christian in the Bible if I ever saw one in real life. He basically said, that's just a storybook. And I ain't never seen one in real life. I wonder how many people would say the same thing. I would be a follower of Christ if I knew what a follower of Christ really looked like. I would do that. And I close with this. We who claim to be children of God, we ought to try to live our lives in such a way that other people see what a real Christian in the Bible really lives like. We ought to live our lives in such a way that they see one. Ye are the salt, and ye are the light of the world. Let's stand together if you would. We're not going to sing necessarily today. I'm just going to ask.